So the lecture you're about to hear is Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology, taught by me, Dr. Dave Broadback, here at Algoma University in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Uh, this is for the fall term in 2022. I had to think about that. I just recorded this intro and said 2023, which is wrong. And then I dropped an F-bomb and uh, probably not the best thing to do to start. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy it. hope you get something out of it. And if you don't, well, that's on you completely. A kid. But it really is on you. All right. So let's talk about stress and health. Let's talk about, I think, as I said before, start recording. Some of this stuff is the reason a lot of people go into psychology is, is to look at well, what we used to call abnormal psychology, what we now call psychopathology. Uh, so stuff like that, looking at how your behavior is affected by both internal and external things. Uh, so stress is a pretty common thing. And we hear a lot about stress, of course, um, all the time. So, our behavior, of course, has serious health effects. Now, one of the things that I find frustrating um, as a psychologist, frankly, is, that, is the distinction between mental and physical health. I, I find that to be ridiculous because it's all just health and it all comes from something physical. Um, I think part of the problem is that what that distinction does, one of the reasons I don't like it is that there's a stigma to mental health and I don't, A, there shouldn't be, but B, why don't we just call it health? Um, but also our behavior itself can have serious health effects, smoking cigarettes or other drugs, um, whatever they may be. Um, that includes alcohol, obviously. So we know that most of these, most of the drugs that we take with the humans ingest for fun are also, if used to excess, can be quite dangerous, right? So they have short-term health effects. You get over D on a drug, OD on a drug and die. But I mean long-term things, right? So alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis, and uh, opiates, meth, and cocaine, we can go on and on. There are very few things that have no health effects, um, no negative effects, that are drugs that we take for fun. Then is our diet. And the more we learn about these things as time goes by, we find out that our diet plays a huge role in our health, which again shouldn't surprise us. From an evolutionary angle, it shouldn't surprise us because what we like shouldn't surprise us. We've talked about this. We like fat. We like sugar. We need those things to exist, except that we evolved in a, in a, in a, in a time the e, in the EEA, it wasn't like you could go get a pound of sugar. And if you went and got that much sugar, you were sharing it with your friends, but also you had to climb a tree and take down a bee's nest. So it was a little, you know, people weren't taking whole thing, pounds of sugar and eating them because in that case it's funny because uh, you get stung. People did take bees, obviously. People have been harvesting honey since they were but think about how hard people worked to get that honey. They risk getting stung a whole bunch. Because, oh, it's sugar good. You know, because sweet tastes good. Problem is now we can just go to the corner store, get a thing of sugar, and if you wanted to, you could eat it all. I don't suggest doing it. Fat as well, we need that to exist, but we don't need it in the industrial quantities. We can get it. The world we live in now, sort of post-World War II world, where you can actually go out and buy massive amounts of things we like that didn't exist before the war. That's, that's because of the prosperity that happened after the war, too. Um, so it's going to cause a big increase in all kinds of health problems. But you know about it. And finally, stress. So uh, stressors are something we all know about. In this environment, uh, for all of you, the stressors are things like me giving you a little talk before we start about you haven't picked out your paper topic yet, and some of you are thinking, oh, but I had completely put that to the back of my brain so it didn't bother me. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, i got to get that done. So there's a possible stress reaction. Now, our, our system for dealing with stress, of course, 
evolved for dealing with, you know, saber-toothed tigers. And now it's dealing with me telling you that you have a paper to do, you know. So our reaction to stress is also an extremely important part of the sort of suite of things that affect our behavior, or sorry, that affect our health that are behavioral. So there are people who are health psychologists, and what they look at is, they look at, they they'll very often look at these sort of topics. One of the things they care about a lot is how our perceptions um, affect our reaction to stress. Now, perceptions are important here because when you identify, when your nervous system identifies a stressor, that's when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in. Yes, of course it does, because the stressor used to be a saber-toothed tiger. And now it's the guy in front of you buying lottery tickets. So we can talk about how emotions and personality and disease hang together. Right. That's sort of, in fact, that's kind of what health psychologists do. They look at emotion, personality, and health. I've got disease in there because I'm thinking of the negative, but there's all obviously, of course, going to be positive things as well. And why do some people treat, see treatment with some people? So that's what health psychologists do. Okay. So, all right. So let's start by talking about stress and illness. Um, the fight or flight response makes a great deal of sense. The fight or flight response that we have. Because it allows us to survive and to fight or run away, right? Right or run away, um, those are your two choices. Right? And this happens when you identify a stressor, when your nervous system does. And it seems like a threat. And it works. There's a reason it's still here. It may seem maladaptive. It's maladaptive to have that reaction to the guy pretty buying lottery tickets when all you want to do is, you know, get a chocolate bar, right? Or someone that, you've ever been in a grocery store and someone says, can I pay with a personal check? And you go, what, people still have personal checks? That's that thing. And then they have to go talk to their supervisor and bring in 12 managers who have to also co-sign some check or something. You're standing there going, I just want to pay for my effing groceries. And your heart beats fast, and your mouth gets dry, and your pupils dilate, and you start to get right in your face. That's where you should go. You know, this isn't really a threat to my existence. That's not a saber-toothed tiger. That's someone who, for some reason, wants to write a personal check in a grocery store. Which, by the way, was the way everybody used to pay for it. When I was a kid, all, all the money, you write the check. Now you just take your phone and go, yeah, that's fine. Or, you know, think about, remember the Rogers outage? A lot of you probably have the Rogers phones. I can't get to the internet! I, what will I do? It's not a big deal. We all live without being connected to everybody in the world. For all of it up to about eight years ago. So it's not that big a deal. But we all were freaking out, weren't we? I don't even have Rogers in it, Bob. I'm sitting in our car, we were driving home, we had a trip, we were in the submarine, we were driving home. And I'm like, uh-oh, well, how are we going to pay for gas if I can't use Interag? <laughs> you know, well, let's go to a bank machine and it worked happily. But really, what's the worst thing that could have happened? Oh, we don't get home from Sudbury. Oh, well, that's obviously the end of the world. But you have that reaction. And that's when you have to take a step back and realize. This system evolved for dealing with literal existential threats. And it's now, I'm upset because I can't see other people's Twitter posts. Who are on Rogers? I'm on Telus, I have no problem. But me, oh, I don't know what I'll do. Because, you know, I'm an idiot. So this system evolved to keep us safe, and there's a reason it's still here, because it actually works. But it can, can be obviously quite negative. So this response up to, uh, you, know, you know, really up to about 10,000 years ago. Definitely made sense 100,000 years ago. But, you know, people start, you know, they stop eating 
nomads generally between about 10,000 and a few thousand years ago. Doesn't make a lot of sense now. So back then, with that guy, it made sense. But now it's because somebody is beating me in an online shooter game. And that's ridiculous that I should ever get freaked out. I remember playing a game of Ghost uh, Recon. And I actually went out for a bike ride at 11 o'clock at night because I was so wound up from a really tough terrorist hunt I was on. Because again, actually emanated. You can jump, you jump at any point and see that maybe these days. Anyway, point is, we have these reactions to 500 years in the future super soldiers, which are obviously fiction. Right? So a lot of things. A lot of times when we have issues with our behavior affecting our health negatively, it's, the, it's because of the mismatch between today and the EEA. We are civilized people with stone-aged minds. Right? That's who we are. We're really, really, really smart apes. You have to remember that. So the good thing about stress is sometimes, you know, it'll save your life. So that's good. And if you think back to, or you think to uh, something like, well, I don't know. I haven't been in a fight in a long time. And I doubt I was, I was 19 last time I was in a fight. Like the only time as an adult I was. And I doubt my life was in danger. I think it probably could have gone poorly though. There's something to be said for wearing, remember, this was 1986. No, that was 1984. Yeah. There is something to be said for wearing knee-high motorcycle boots and chains anymore. Because when someone comes at you, they just do that. Get right in the face. So, I'm not proud of it, but it was two guys. I won't say it saved my life, but it stopped me from getting badly hurt. Let's say that. That's good. Mostly it's not good, but sometimes it can be good. It can be helpful. It's the reason it's still here. So if you have to fight, like I, my, my example here, or an accident, you hear a lot about these situations where people are able to do sort of feats of superhuman strength. Now, they aren't nearly as dramatic as we hear about. And then she lifted a car. No, she not without some help. No one is, no, no he or she is lifting a car. But you might try something, you might do something, because you, you, you stop worrying about the pain if you're rescuing your kid. Right? You hear about soldiers in, in combat. That, like, I, I can't believe when you see these footage, this footage of people in battle, this battle footage from Ukraine, and you see like a Ukrainian soldier, and you see him get hit, and then he still keeps going. I can't even believe how that's possible happily because I've never had to experience it. But even writing a test. And you might think, well, I'm kidding. And I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also kind of not kidding. Because if you know things well, stress helps you. Not the complete stress reaction of, I'm going to go kick Dave's ass because he's made up this test and it's his fault. What I mean is, something that is a that you know well, you do really well in this So typically, I know we made a video of this and put it on the LMS. I think I did, but I'll do this again. So if we have stress level on the x-axis, and we have performance on some task, the more, an optimal level of stress is somewhere in the middle. But that's for things that you're not an expert at. For things you're really good at, it's even more like that. Now, eventually it will drop off. You can get so stressed that you can't do anything. But there's a reason that, for example, well, let's go with soldiers, that at least Ukrainian soldiers trained. 
Russian soldiers, they just go to the front and get killed. Soldiers train like anything. Pilots, I'm so happy that pilots train a lot because when something bad happens in a plane, you can't just turn it on and off again. Well, you could. <laughs> it's coming through here. Um, professional athletes train like hell. And I don't know about you, but I imagine most of the players in the NHL can skate already. I don't think skating drills are that important for teaching them how to skate because they don't to skate already. But the practice actually helps them. Be, the stuff becomes automatic. So it's not quite a straight line like I've drawn here. I'm just doing that to dramatize the point. What I'm saying is it drops off for things you're not an expert in, for things that you're actually kind of you have expertise in. More than a moderate level of stress is useful. It can energize the behavior. It's good. So if you study a lot and really know the material, instead of going into a test with a feeling of dread, which we have all experienced, if you have an experience going into a test feeling dread because you don't think you know the stuff well enough, I challenge that you have not been in school. We've all had that experience, right? There's the other experience, the good one, when you walk into a test and you're like this, come on coach, put me in, ask me some questions, I can answer anything you want. Let's go, let's go, let's go. That's a great feeling. So when you know the stuff really well, right? So actually it can be useful for something like this, like a, like a test. Because the question we can ask is what the hell is this? So here's, this is a definition I lifted from a, an intro site book. I have lots of those because publishers just send us books. We don't want them. There are two books in my mailbox. I don't even, I didn't even order them. They just appeared. Publishers are like, you want books? You want to know why your textbooks are expensive? Not in this class, because I oh, didn't use a textbook. But text, one of the reasons textbooks are expensive is they constantly give us textbooks. Here's a $300 book. You want your students to use it? It's for free for you. Ugh. Textbooks are a racket. Anyway. I lifted this out of some intro site book. Stress is the process by which we appraise and cope with environmental threats and challenges. Fine. The important thing here is that if, if we are doing the appraising and coming up with the coping strategy, that means we can change how we react to stress, doesn't it? This isn't all just some sort of hardwired thing. This is as good as a definition as any. The idea of stress, and we can even make this further, the notion of Let's say the idea that stre all stressful things are bad and you should never have any stress in your life is something that you hear some people say. This gets overused. I think a lot of times you hear people say, if they if you don't know what something is, some health issue is being caused by, a lot of people go, well, it's stress. And it's like, what's stress? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of that. And there is normal day-to-day -day stress. What you have to do with normal day-to-day -day stress is learn how to deal with it, not just say, I don't want, I want to live a stress-free life. Good, have fun. That's not a thing. Let's keep it to a minimum if we can, but not everything is easy. Right? So I, I think it does get overused a bit, the notion that things are stressors and we have to eliminate stress. And it's like, I'm not, not giving you tests. But what about stress? Well, you know what? That's what adults do. You learn how to deal with it. And you try to avoid it if you can. Don't make things stressful for people on purpose. That's being a jerk. That's like saying, yeah, your test is uh, 45 minutes long. It's got 600 questions. And I'm going to be up here laughing at you the whole time. And while no one says quite that, I know there are people in the world who do the job that I do who somehow relish that kind of behavior. There's a technical term, actually, if you look at the people. I think it's, it's, it's the word is asshole, <laughs> if, you, if you know the word. Um, don't behave like that if you ever do this job. Tests are measuring instruments. I am not trying to impress you, okay? As I've said many times, I know I'm clever. I don't have to prove it to you. There's no reason to make your lives difficult, but I'm not going to try to make it easy. It should just be, right? Just if you, somebody in the room will end up doing this job that I have. Not this very woman, if somebody does, I don't know. 
If you do, just remember that. Don't be that guy. Please. First time I've literally, that's the first time I think I've written the word asshole on a whiteboard. Um, okay. So, how does this thing, system work? Uh, originally, this was thought up by a guy named Cannon. Um, an actual Cannon. It's a guy And he talked about the fight or flight response. So should say, or, and the one says, of oh, there, I will edit it now. So, when I see that, in this book, back to the or flight. Not or. What's the now with it here? Okay. Or. Right. All right. So, and the fight or flight response. So he, that's a long time ago. That's 1800s, late 1800s. You heard about um, Yeah, take history to second. So the way this works is with a couple of neurotransmitters. They get into your bloodstream. We call them. Hormones, then epinephrine, and norepinephrine, or adrenaline and noradrenaline if you're American. This is one of the few times, by the way, that the American term lost out to the rest of the world. Very often when the American when Americans have one term for something and the rest of us use a different one, that everybody picks the American one because science publishing mostly comes out of the States, and that's fine. But we stuck with epinephrine instead of adrenaline. I kind of like that. Nothing wrong with the word adrenaline, just it's not used as much. It's used in popular parlance when you say, uh, I got a real adrenaline rush from something, that's fine. Most of us don't say, I, you know, this really gets like epinephrine going. It's not a thing, right? Your heart rate goes up, your breathing increases intensity, uh, your pupils dilate, blood rushes away from smooth muffle, muffle, muffle? Smooth muffle, forward of skeletal muffle. I don't know what happened to my nose there. It's first day with new, new lips. First day with the new lips, some of these are drugs. Anyway, it's a tough room. So away from your striated muscles, your smooth muscles, or sorry, the other way around. So you can run away or you can fight. You stop worrying about things like that. Your body stops worrying about things like, oh, I don't know, digesting food, because that's not extremely important if you're going to be dead. Okay, so. One of the person, one of the people who was really important in this, um, looking at this stuff, was a guy named Sela. Um, so he, this was in the uh, 40s, and he was injecting rats with hormones, not just for fun. People were that were just starting to discover. Maybe it was for fun. I don't know. Maybe he was aware. But he was trying to discover what different hormones did. This is something people were discovering hormones early on, and. Uh, early, early, like mid, mid, mid part of last century, even before that. So people were trying to see what these different hormones did. So he isolated some, and he was injecting rats. He found enlargement of the adrenal cortex. Uh, so the adrenal glands. This is now a little bit in dispute. I'm not saying he didn't find it. I'm saying that it may have been for another reason. He found the thymus gland was shrinking. And he found ulcers. Like in the GI in the tract, the GI tract of the, uh, these rabbits. But then he thought, well, I gotta do a control. So he injected with a small one. Then he got a control with saline and he got the same thing. So it's not the substance itself doing it, it's the experience. And think about the experience of this for a rat. Okay? You ever injected a rat? Probably nobody in the room. Okay, when you take a rat and you are gonna give it a, a needle. Um, it's not difficult, but think about this from the rat's perspective. The first thing you do is you, t you pick a rat up. Anybody here have a rat? A rat? They're pretty easy to play with. They're fun. Nice little animals, right? Little, little, little personalities. They're not scary. You pick them up. There's a way to hold them so they can't bite you. You put their little arm. You put your fingers over their sort of shoulders and you hold their legs in and their heads there. The worst thing they could do is maybe bite your, but they usually wouldn't. And what you do, typically, I don't know if he did this, but a very common thing to do is to disorient them so you can do something like an injection. So the way you do that is you do this. You spin them around. You spin them right around, baby, right around, like a record baby. 
That is a reference to a song that was came with your parents were kids. But anyway, things get disoriented and you eject Let's say he didn't do the disorienting thing. Let's say he just picked it up and ejected it. Okay, now let's pretend this happens to one of us. So something, I don't know, 30 meters tall, picks you up, spins you around, and injects you with a needle that is bigger than you in the gut. It's a little stressful. This is when the idea of the, yeah, that's a threat. That's an existential threat. I get it. That's not, oh, I'm going to test next week. That's, oh, a giant is going to kill me. So you can see why even a, an injection of uh, saline solution would do that. So you try other things, fear, uh, shocking them, etc. Anything that was unpleasant, this way, these, these results would happen. So, so this is really the stress system doing this. It's not the injections. It's not the fear, etc. Questions so far? This is in the 40s. At McGill, in Montreal. So he came up with calling, he called this the general adaptation system, and it had a couple of different places, things that did things. So you get the alarm reaction, the animal's heart rate would go up, or the animal here could be a human, obviously. Blood goes to skeletal muscles so you can fight or run. So away from smooth muscles, that's organs. Then you get the resistance. This is where you sort of stay, quote, up. In other words, you're trying to stay aroused. Uh, hormones like epinephrine in this case are released until you don't have any. Uh, very few of us have ever hit the point where you have no more adrenaline. So either, so no more adrenaline and usually no more glucose. You basically, you can't do anything. Has anybody ever had bonked? You ever, anybody here do athletic things a lot and they you ever bonk? Has it ever happened to anybody? I've had it once where you just run out of energy and suddenly you're just confused. It's very unpleasant. Did it once. Went for a bike ride without eating because I'm an idiot. And you get, I got about 300, 400 meters from my house and I, I thought, ooh, boy, I feel cold. And it's like, yeah, but it's, 30 degrees out, so I shouldn't be cold. I got off my bike and I sat down on somebody's lawn, I don't even know who it was, near my house, and I looked down and I went, that grass looks delicious. Maybe I'll load up on this person's lawn. That sounds like it'll be, that'll just get me home. But then I'm like, where actually, where do I live? And say, like, oh, this is bad. I did remember I had a cliff bar in the back of my bike. Saddlebag. I took it out, I ate it, and in about three minutes I was like, okay, now I feel like shit, but I know where I live. <laughs> I got up and I walked my bike home and I ate, I don't know, I ate so much food. I ate everything. I ate food I don't like. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. I was making a hamburger. I was eating a hot dog while making a hamburger. I think I was also eating cereal. That was fine. But I now always make sure. But I ran out of energy. It's also extremely dangerous. You shouldn't do that. But there's a whole bunch of people that think that kind of that training like that's a good idea. Don't do that. You could die. Um, so you run out of adrenaline in this case. There's nothing you can do. Then you get exhausted. It, that I didn't do anything for the rest of the day. Like I was done. Most of us don't hit this. You're extremely vulnerable. Like I said, you know, you can get confusion, disorientation. Also, you just, you have no energy. It's like you're at a gas. You'll hear Olympic athletes, marathoners, triathletes talk about hitting a wall and running through it. That's what they're talking about. The difference is they're, you know, high performance athletes and we're us. Right? So you're extremely vulnerable there. So you have to be careful. Um, Lots of that's obviously bad. You actually get destruction of um, cells in the hippocampus. Now, this is if it happens a lot. This is if you live in Kiev, for 
presented. This isn't because you had some tests. Okay. So if you get destruction at the campus, you're going to have memory loss. What I'm saying is, avoid this. So how do we avoid it? Right? Because we have to think about this from an evolutionary angle. We can say, okay, can we sort of, if we think about this a bit, can we affect our reactive stress by thinking about how that system evolved and what it's for, what's its function. So there's some things that we can't, and in fact here, a, what's called a catastrophe, these are things that no one in the world likes, right? Like, you know, Russia invading your country, that's a bad one. Like being hauled away to a residential school, that's a bad one. A tsunami is pretty bad, an earthquake's pretty bad. No one thinks, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Everybody thinks these are bad. And in fact, your stress reaction should be what you have here. Right? It'll probably save your life. Significant life changes. Here is, these are tough to deal with. But these can be things like death, divorce, job loss, so breakup. They're, no one likes them. They aren't life-threatening. These are life-threatening catastrophes. Significant life changes can be life-threatening. Well, but you know what? I've got listed death, divorce, and job loss. You know what is just as stressful? Having a kid, getting married, and starting a new job. They're literally just as stressful. They, they feel good, but they're just as stressful. And I think we've all started jobs, or, or I mean, many of you guys have moved. You know what that's like. I remember when, when, when Dwayne started here in 2010. He started in January, and so he had started a new job in January. He just found out they were having another kid, and he had to go do his PhD defense two weeks after his, he started his job here. And we were all joking. Like, well, if you went through this, you'll be fine. So all the positive sort of opposites of these things here are just as bad. Happily, for most of us, these don't happen all the time. The one that you can deal with are things like the quote daily hassles, you know, the sort of regular annoying things that happen in life. You know, loud neighbors, me, the weather. You watch a hockey game, your team loses. Hell, you play hockey. These are the things where we shouldn't have the reaction that has evolved to protect us from saber defect. This is the one that should, this is where we should go, yeah, whatever. This is where you can affect your health by realizing the thing that you're experiencing is not actually a stressor. See, again, it's the disconnect between the EEA and today. During the EA, anything that was, usually when we had a stressful reaction, it was, it was an existential threat. It was life threatening. Right? So if we've decided to fight to become the leader of the group, that's life threatening. Because that's probably a fight to, well, maybe not to death, but someone's going to get hurt. Right? And one of the things you have to learn when you say, for example, play sports, is that when you go out to play, when you get on the floor, you get on the ice, when you go to whatever it is, to not have the intense stress reaction because you can't play the game. Whatever that game is. With your pupils all dilated and, you're, and, and you're breathing like this, and your mouth all dry, it's really hard to hit a free throw. Right? It's really, I wrestled in high school, and, the first few times, you're not even ready for the idea of, oh, I'm going to fight another guy. And people will watch. And you think, well, I won't be at that. I've done practices. And then you, the referee blows the whistle, and then suddenly, that's when you're, you know, or it's if you're sitting on the bench playing hockey, and the, the coach taps you on the shoulder, and you go on. It's really intense. Didn't help during a meet once where I heard my mother yell, David, don't hurt him, when I was wrestling. 
the way you, there's a thing you can do in wrestling, which is to basically get it so the other person can't do anything. It's completely defensive. You make them wear themselves out, and then they get tired and you can beat them. And what you do is you lay down. You might see this if you ever watch like Olympic wrestling. <laughs> I wasn't in the Olympics. I'm saying it's the same style. And what you do is you go down and you pull your elbows in, and you put your head down. And if you do that, you, there's no way to, if you're strong, there's no way the person can move you. But you know how you can back that. You just put both your hands on the person's head, and you push him into the mat, and he can't breathe, and then he goes, he gives up, and then you pull him So I was doing this to another guy. I'm pushing in this kid's head. Because I'm doing what my coach told me to do. And I hear my mother go, don't hurt him, David. Then I hear my dad go, shut up, Leslie. So. My dad was great, but he had a bit of a temper and could be a bit of a dick. But anyway. Those are the things we can control. Those are the things that weren't around as much during the EEA. Well, we had daily hassles then. Sure. If you're doing other, if you're facing other bad things, especially, these things can really happen. One of the first pieces of advice I give students who are struggling is drop a course. Like, seriously, just lower your course load. Do four instead of five, something like that if you can, because it'll make your life easier, a little less stress. So this is about perceived control. Do you think you have to, that's what, you know, significant perceived control. Do you think you have control over the situation? So optimists, people who think they have more control, do better, when I say better in life, what do I mean? I mean they're happier, they make more money. Now, that's a two-way street. You might also be happier because you make more money. So it's, it's not just, the causation doesn't go one way. It's gotta be a loop, right? If you have less perceived control, you have more stress hormones than least. Note the word is perceived. So this is something we can affect with therapy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that someone's being unhealthy, so they need therapy, they're going to have problems. This is basically just the idea of recognize that something isn't a big deal. One of the things I often tell students when they get tests back, if they didn't do well, it's, just, it's one test. And there's nothing you can do about it now, so stop worrying. Move on. I know that's not easy, and I've been in that same situation. I got a 60 on a paper in undergrad and almost changed my major. Glad I didn't, but it felt like at the time that I was stupid and I should <laughs> change my major. And I mean, I wasn't, I don't think. All right. So, questions on that stuff with stress? Let's talk a bit about heart disease and behavior. This is back in the 50s. Um, Friedman and Roseman, they were sort of talking about this. People, by the way, you think in the 50s, people knew that fat in their diet and smoking was, yeah, where people, the medical profession knew it. The general public knew it, they just didn't want to kind of get it. So they looked at people Men and women, had, they were equal. They smoked and they had fat in their diet, things like that. Men got much more coronary heart disease, whether it's heart attacks, than women did. Now, why would that be? It's probably because at the time, remember, we're talking 1957, I think 56 is when that paper came out. Um, gender roles were really rigid, and men had more stressful jobs. I'm not saying being a mom at home with kids who are basically, your kids outnumber you if you have more than one, and they can sort of gang up on you. It's, I know that sounds weird, but it's, um, it was hard, harder at the time. For stress, stress-wise, being a guy, everything else was harder for women. <laughs> so the higher stress jobs were with men. 
Um, accountants had most of their heart attacks in April, which is when taxes were. Wild. So they talked about what they call the type A and type B personality. The type A personality, uh, the best example I can think of that is the man in the middle, that's my father, my father, and that's my brother, and you know who that is, and uh, we're deep frying cheesecake. As one does. As people do. What you do is you take cheesecake filling, you put it in a tortilla, and you deep fry it. And then you put the, you know what you would put in the cheese, you know, the food and then you put that on top. Oh boy, is that, now you're eating. By the way, you may notice that we've been drinking. My dad basically invented the type A personality. It seems an extremely driven person, very time dependent, so really caring a lot about deadlines. Sound a lot like being a student? Right? So why does this group get more coronary heart disease? The sort of driven personality, the kind that's really intense, the sort of, quote, go-getter. Um, they sleep less than people that have, quote, type B personality, which is more relaxed. They smoke more. Not as much as they, the, the speed difference is much more stark than it is now. There's way more, way fewer people smoke. They, quote, fly off the handle. That's using one of my mother's expressions. She's got two great expressions for getting excited. Fly off the handle and oh, you're just going off the deep end. Off into the deep end. By the way, my mother says nothing like that. I think her sound like an idiot. She's smarter than me. Um, but a really, really, really short temper is what I'm talking about here. So in other words, a really quick stress reaction when, you, when it's not appropriate. And they're just get angry easily. This is actually, the, how this is a description of my father is just, it's perfect. Oh, my dad also did have a heart attack. That's not what killed him, brain cancer kills him. But he had a heart attack when he was, jeez, uh, five years younger than me, he was 52. Drove himself to the hospital. That's a type of personality. Why call the ambulance? I'm a better driver than an ambulance driver. I will drive to the hospital. I, I don't know. It's a superhero angle to him in a way. <laughs> so let's put it together a little bit. Stress and your reaction to it and how this is affected by your immune system. Very generally, you have B cells and T cells. Let's not get too into this. Even though I have that there, we'll take those out next time. Um, The thing is, stress suppresses the immune system. That's the important take home here. Because the immune, the, the stress reaction system, that, that second level, that adaptation level of the GAS, the general adaptation system, what it does is it diverts energy. When I say energy here, I don't mean your chakras or something. You know, what I'm talking about is it's, it, it's, it's diverting glucose, like, you know, the stuff that your body runs on. It's diverting that to Staying alive, because, and it makes great evolutionary sense, doesn't it? Why worry about fighting off whatever cold or you got when you might be dead in the next 45 seconds? So that makes complete sense. But people with type A personalities, as they call them, which is, we don't tend to use that term so much anymore. I'm using it as a short form end up with more infections. They get sicker more. Okay. So, the quote, healthy lifestyle, and I'm not, I would never, ever, ever tell you what to ingest. You're adults, you can eat and drink whatever you like. I don't care. I've always said, you can do any drugs you want, just don't come to class wasted, and I don't care. It's, I just don't want the disruption of you being drunk or high in class. You do that somewhere else, have fun. I was high last night. It's, it's good times. <laughs> it's perfectly cool. Well, it was, it's 
the fourth anniversary of legalization day, you have to get stoned, it's the law. Um, but generally, you know, standard sort of healthy lifestyle stuff that you hear about from your doctor. So you can't smoke, drink, smoke crack. I don't know, have unprotected sex with prostitutes? And go, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm a really good reaction to stress. So I'll be fine. Yeah, no. Like, it's not just, it's like the people who go to McDonald's and order, I'll have three, uh, three combos, Big Mac combos, 20 McNuggets, oh, a Diet Coke. The Diet Coke isn't doing a lot of work. <laughs> if you're gonna do that, have the Coke. <laughs> Seriously. Unless you really like Diet Coke. Maybe you like the taste of Diet Coke. There's some kind of freak who likes Diet Coke better than regular Coke. Some kind of maniac. Nobody likes Diet Coke. Better than Coke. Diet Coke's fine. But I mean better than regular Coke. Maybe so. Does somebody actually here like Diet Coke better than regular Coke? No, right? Now that I've just called you all freaks, if you do, I doubt you're going to be admitted. Bunch of weirdos. Okay. Yes, insult your glasses. Old time teaching award. How'd <laughs> you get that big? Well, I mostly insult my students. That's my approach. Um, so health psychologists are interested in that idea of promoting health. So that's why I you know, mentioned them in the beginning. So a lot of this though, well, see, we can a lot of this is stuff we can control behaviorally. Right? We can control what things we ingest. We can control our stress reactions to a point. So how do you deal with stress? One of the key things is aerobic exercise, you probably know that. I've often said this topic is basically all the things your mom said, is, they were all true. Remember your mom said, no, 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 calm down. No, you can't do that, you should sleep more. You're too young for coffee. All those things mom say, and you know what, she was right about all that stuff. That's basically all this is. Um, The reason it works is because you're, so if you're in better shape, you're able to stay in that adaptation phase longer when you are under stress. So you get less exhaustion. Exhaustion is the dangerous thing. All right, questions so far? Yeah. So a lot of people worry about, they want to lose weight, a diet. One of the hardest things is to change, your body weight is a set point, right? So it's a homeostatic process. Trying to stay at whatever number of kilos you weigh. And if your diet doesn't vary a great deal from, you know, amount, amount wise, you stay roughly the same. But changing that set point is very difficult. This is why sort of crash diets, well, they can work for a short period, don't work for a long period of time. For most people. Question. Yeah, please, sorry. What do you mean by a set point? Oh, a set point. So what happens, the same thing, you have a set point for your, your body temperature. The difference is all, all of ours are the same, 37 degrees Celsius, right? So your body's always trying to stay at 37 degrees, either you sweat or you shiver, uh, and it stays around 37. Same thing happens with your weight. Your body tries to stay at same, the same place. It's not nearly as simple as your body temperature. But it's the same, roughly the same idea. Well, can, can that change? Yes, it can. Uh, but it's not an easy thing to change. And, and you can't change, for example, your temperature. So yeah. But what it involves typically is changing your diet, not, a lot of that's amount and caloric density compared to what a lot of people think, which is just, uh, well, I'll just stop eating X, Y, or Z. It's not usually that simple. And also exercise, putting exercise in there is really important too, because if you have that, then it's a little easier to change your set point if you're exercising a lot, because you have to burn off more energy to stay at that same weight, right? So then if you exercise a lot, you can eat a lot, and you're gonna be fine. Make sense? The temperature one. Yes. So, um, someone like me who came from like Africa, yeah. it's really hot. There. Yeah. So a lot of times I feel comfortable when it's like 
hot yeah. and I feel like regular temperatures like this, I feel cold. Yeah. But is that possible to change? Like, let's say I live here for like 10 more years. Can yeah, that well, like adjust? Yeah, you'll adjust. You'll adjust to it. I mean, it's the same thing that happens with all kinds of people that move, say, to Canada. But it's, uh, I'm just thinking, for example, to a person I know who's from Haiti. And she was telling me how she was talking to a friend of hers at home. And she said that it was minus 20. And her friend said, how can that even be a thing? Like, how is minus, what's, what kind of temperature is minus 20? And she said, well, it's not that bad. You put on a good coat, got a pair of boots, gloves, and a hat. And she said, oh, you're Canadian. You're not Haitian anymore. So it can happen. It just takes time. Right? And I have another friend. Um, I've told you about him, an uh, old friend of mine from India, Poet, and he just he, he can't deal with it. He goes to India every summer, and he doesn't like it anymore because it's just too hot. Because <laughs> he lives in Halifax. It's just not you. He's lived in Canada for 30 years. And, you know, and the same thing happens. I was thinking this yesterday. I went outside for a second and I thought, oh God, it's freezing. And I thought, hey, if this was February, I would think of how warm it was. So I mean, it, it all becomes kind of relevant. But your internal body temperature, that won't change. It's always going to be 37 degrees. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can always, it's funny, I can always tell the international students who have only been here for a term. It's easy, because I'm on the bus and they've got parkas on when it's this weather. And that's fine. I would, I'll tell you, if I was, in India, I'd probably be walking around, I wouldn't go out. I would be like, is there air conditioning? Because I'm not even leaving anywhere if there's not air conditioning. And I see, you know, news footage, for example, of people walking around dressed like this, and it's 41 degrees. It's like, how do you exist? So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, totally. But again, my internal body temperature would remain the same. My body's always trying to maintain that. The difference is here with, with, with your weight is that's going to be a lot more affected by their environmental effects and it can change. Good question. And of course people have thought, that you probably know this, but you, you're just going to burn fat, turn it into muscle. Shut up. Okay. So you hear a lot of people talk about, oh, we got to be paleo. Well, let's be paleo. Let's eat like our ancestors did. I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Most of the food we eat didn't exist 200,000 years ago. Take a look at what corn looked like until the people who lived in this part of the world invented corn. There was plants that they crossed and you know they basically did artificial selection. Same with like bananas. Bananas is a great example. The bananas were horrible little starchy, nasty things that you know, become these great big, super sweet things. Strawberries are another great example. Um, carrots were about that big and they were like black and disgusting looking. And eventually people bred them enough that we get carrots like that today in orange. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of things. And of course, I think I mentioned, you know, sheep and, 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 uh, like, like, and uh, cows, humans invented those. We just had breeding animals. You know, so people, you know, we have to live like our aunt, we can't. So people get really worked up about, quote, paleo diets. I've got friends who are so into this that it's kind of insane. Just gonna leave it there. Some, I know somebody doesn't wear shoes, that's all I'm gonna say. Because our ancestors didn't. Our ancestors didn't wear clothes either, and also just probably took took a piss wherever they wanted to. Did you do that? Being bad? Um, but well, he's not hurting anybody. Was the Paleolithic diet, the quote paleo, was it all vegetable? Not most places, no. Was it all meat? Not most places, no. Was it both? Yeah. Of course it was. One of the neat things humans can do, by the way, is we can survive on all kinds of different things. There's a reason that we're everywhere on the planet. Right? So if you were put down somewhere where there was no animal that you were going to eat, 
you'd be fine. You're a vegetable. It's not as delicious. Personal opinion. As my brother says, he likes his food to have had a mother, a father, and a face. But it's also the case that we can exist just fine on vegetables. There are whole cultures that don't eat meat and prepare vegetables well. So it's neither though. There's also cultures that don't eat any vegetables. Or hardly any. But Inuit culture generally, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of kale on the tundra buffet. Like there's not a lot of celery. People aren't going around going, well we can eat this walrus, which is full of meat and fat and it's all going to be great or we could try to eat these little tiny sticks you know. humans can work pretty good we can go on which would be both right it's probably less dense when you look at what our ancestors ate you have to or rule too it's food with much less calorically dense So it's probably more a matter of things not being as calorically dense. So there's less energy value, like in food value, so calories, in something from then than there is in something from now. That's the, probably the big difference. You will hear people say, it's more natural for us not to eat cooked food. Those people, there's a technical term for those people. It's not that one. It's a different one. I think the word is idiots. Um, people have been cooking for about a million years. Since before there were us, before Homo sapiens, humans cooked. There's different, there were different kinds of humans. Homo habilis, I think, uh, cooked. You know what cooking does? It makes digestion easier. It's easier to digest food when it's cooked. So the idea that we should all be on raw diets is asinine. Like it's ridiculous. You can do it. Go nuts. I don't care. Have fun. What I'm saying is, and you can say you're doing it for all kinds of reasons, and I don't care what the reasons are, but you, if you say that the reason is because humans evolved not to eat cooked food, then you're wrong because we've been cooking food since before there were homo sapiens. Like, we've been cooking for over a million years. Or else the only animal cooks, which is cool. One of the key things about humans is uh, us uh, isolating and being able to keep and start fires. No other animal can do this. And because we can do that, there's that led to two things. It led to us cooking food, and it led to a thing that we've never had, that no other animal has in abundance like humans do, which is free time. Because you can sit around a campfire and talk. And there's light and heat, so you can stay up at night. That's something other animals don't do. They go to bed when they But we don't have to do that. So it's about caloric density. Processed as much? I don't like the term processed really, but I, because cooking, frank, frankly, is a form of processing food. So, and I don't like the term also because it's big. I don't really know what it means. It means different things to different people. But I think you know what I'm talking about here, but. It's just, it's, it's an imprecise term. I, I'm, not, I don't fond, I'm not fond of imprecise terms. So basically, we couldn't get the, because it's not as calorically dense, we couldn't get the fat and sugar that we crave, that our bodies want, in industrial quantities like we can today. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I have three and a half pounds of butter in my fridge. I have a pound of shortening. I got about three liters of cooking oil, another liter of olive oil. That's a lot of fat just sitting in the house. And I've got sugar, brown sugar, white sugar, maple syrup, honey, corn syrup. 
used to be, you know how you got sugar? You ate honey, maybe, but mostly you got it from fruit. I mean, that's how you got fruit, right? How you got sugar. So that's the big difference. There's a reason all this stuff tastes good. It's, you know, there's a reason that things like chips taste good. There's a reason that McDonald's french fries stopped tasting as good about 15 years ago when they stopped cooking it in beef fat. Because they used to use beef fat a lot. They were so much better. Then all the health people came along and wrecked my McDonald's fries. So what can we do about our, uh, you know, people being overweight. And it's an issue here, it's a bigger issue just over there, where I'm pointing, which is the United States of America. Um, but it's still an issue. Do we accept it as individuals? So if you're overweight, you just go, this who I am. That has some, that's gonna have a lot less stress. That's good. We've established today that less stress is good. So it's because you're going to be happy. The problem is you're still overweight. That's still not going to be good for you. So again, your, your reaction to stressful events will still be worse because of the shape of it, right? A lot of this is just poorly done publicity, though. I think one of the bad things is that when you hear people say, we should... Don't eat this, don't eat that, whatever. It ends up, like no one likes being told what to do. That's, 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 my, that's, just, that's just an editorial comment on my part. But I, I really think that a lot of times, you get people saying, well, you should be more healthy, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. It's like, dude, I have a life to lead, and I have to feed my family, and I can do it quickly this way. And no one ever taught me how to cook. I can go into a whole rant about how no one ever gets, no one learns how to cook, and there's all kinds of really simple things you should learn in school, but that's an entirely different thing. But you should learn how to sear a steak and make a martini and hang a shelf and do your taxes. Anyway, those are easy things to learn how to do, and just, you don't have to eat from McDonald's, so you can buy your own stuff. Anyway. Shaming people into things doesn't work, is what I'm saying. So stress is good and bad. The bad part is, over time, it's bad if you are not reacting to things that are stressors. Just in daily hassle. It's good in that it will save your life. It will improve your performance in certain things you know how to do very well. Right? Like you guys play basketball, right? Yeah. You probably already know how to play, right? So like, <laughs> practice isn't, like, here's how to dribble. No one's doing that, but you're, you practice to the point where it's automatic, isn't it? Yeah. Right, it just happens, right? And if you make a great shot or a great pass, my favorite basketball moment is Michael Jordan hitting his third, uh, like eighth three-pointer in a row in an NBA Finals game, and running back, as he takes the shot, he turns to nobody knows it. Yes, if you shoot, you, you just know it's going to go in. He runs, he's running back down the floor because he knows he hit it. And he watches it go through and he goes, I don't know. He doesn't know how he did it. That's one of my favorite things in the history of basketball. It's just somebody going, I don't know how, how I'm this good, I just am. Right, or Wayne Gretzky once said, when goalie was like that, and there was the bar of the net right there, and as the puck, he shot the puck, it changed direction, and it went sideways, and it went in. And he was asked after that goal, how did you do that? He said, well, that's all we did. <laughs> okay. But he can't explain how we did it. Right? But when you practice a lot, stress is good on something you practiced all to hell. It's mostly bad. <laughs> for most of us, most of the time, it's not good for you. So you should try to take a step back and, 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 and realize that Everything is in a life and death situation, including basketball. But mostly the big takeaway from today is your mom was right about everything. 
and typically that's true generally, but but all the health stuff when she was telling me to calm down and don't smoke and don't stay up too late and don't eat too much and don't drink too much and don't smoke too and all that she was right. Almost all these things that are bad for us are because of the disconnect between the EA and today. Any questions or comments? There are a couple of questions today. I appreciate that. No others? Yeah, well, we're done five minutes early. That's fine. On that note, uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.